0: time for a new season. In this next one, we're trying something new. We're calling it Perspectives, Curated Perspectives, so you can make informed choices for your family. We're interviewing multiple experts on sleep, eating, and parenting philosophies. And as we prepare the lineup, we're revisiting an episode that was a listener favorite, House Tours and Other Real-Life Experiences with Dr. William Stasso. Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. Talk to any toddler for more than a couple of minutes, and you'll be reminded of how thirsty they are for knowledge and information. Why do I have to wear shoes? Why do dogs have tails? Why, why, why? And while we humans are continuously learning, we are born with something of an empty canvas. It's the early experiences we have as babies that form the brain architecture to support that learning. It's hard not to miss the headline that the early years matter. No pressure or anything. At a birthing class, I was introduced to a book that helped me put the science of early learning into action with my own baby, and ultimately inspired me to create Love Every. The book was written by Dr. Will Stasso, our guest on the podcast. Today, he is a psychologist who focuses on the assessment of autism in children under three. But in 1999, he published Neural Foundations, What Stimulation Your Baby Needs to Become Smart, a book about the experiences that form the early architecture of the brain. In it, he shared so many great ideas for learning activities, In our conversation, Will talks about house tours and other real life experiences and ways to engage with your baby. These are things you already may be doing, but didn't even realize how important they can be. And while I have many happy memories of house tours, I want to emphasize that it is unrealistic to think that this level of focus and engagement with your baby can be sustained all day, every day. We are pulled in so many directions. For me, mother wife, daughter, friend, employer. How can I succeed in all these roles and still do the best for my children? I want the time that I can spend with my children to feel good. I want to come away from those interactions feeling confident and connected, to look at the world from their perspective and marvel at what they are learning. This is why we started Love Every. We are all about giving parents tools to help us feel confident that the time we do have with our kids is well spent. This is what I found so inspiring about Will's message. I hope you will too. I am thrilled to have you on the show today, Will. Hi.
1: Hi. Good to be here.
0: Great. So I wanted to help people understand, our parents to understand, really spelling it out for us, why do these first three years of life matter so much? What is happening neurologically?
1: Well, you know, it was a question for me as well. Growing up in my teens, I remember wondering why we were so different, one from another. And that propelled me to to go into psychology as a major, and both in undergraduate and graduate school. And uh, thereafter, I um, began working with school-age children, and I noticed that children entering kindergarten were very much different from one another. And their learning skills, their knowledge base, And so I began working with preschool-age children, and then after that, infants and toddlers. And I realized at that point in time that there were a lot of similarities among infants. The way that they reacted at six months of age, one from another, was pretty much the same. But when I saw them as toddlers, they were different. And so I began to uh, research that further, and I found that there was a great deal of information I was not aware of, and this came from a variety of different sources. I couldn't get it from one type of research, or area of study. But what most excited me, I think, was finding out that our brains are not developed at birth, except for the purpose of keeping us alive. We have structures in the brain that are pre-programmed to allow us to suck on things, to remove our hands or body from pain, to basically survive. But once we are in a position where we have some motor motor skills, we begin to take in the environment around us. And it's that experience that forms the architecture of the brain. While all of our brain cells are present at birth, they're not linked up to one another. It's like uh, nature has provided this opportunity to uh, form a brain that is adaptable within the environment that we grow up in.
0: So I'd love to hear more about the importance of this baby's environment and their neurological development. You talk about it a lot in your books. I'd love to hear you flesh that out a little bit more for us.
1: The brain is going to form associations in response to the kind of experiences the child has in the environment. So if they see multiple events occurring, they're beginning to make associations regarding those events. If they happen repeatedly They'll make stronger associations. That those those networks become stronger, and at some point it it become strong enough, so they will anticipate something happening around those events that they have seen so many times. And if these associations are enable the child to adapt more, to adjust, to predict, to make decisions about, then they are the kind of experiences that are going to be beneficial to the child, but they're always learning. I think that we're not always aware of thinking about how the child is learning all the time. The life that we provide for them is their curriculum before they get into the schools. And they will have a brain architecture that is extremely sophisticated by the time they get to be of kindergarten age. And it's based on the kind of experiences they have prior to then.
0: Yeah. It's so inspiring to hear that. You know, I remember reading your book and thinking that so much happens in these early years that we can really lean in then in those early years. And then, you know, it's kind of like they're, they're set up on a path to have really great, you know, learning and success in school and all these other things can happen if we invest early. So I think that that's, you know, has been the kind of core message that I heard from you in your book.
1: There's really an interplay between environment and uh, genetics. It seems like genetics gives us the basics of some pre-programming that we have to have in order to survive initially, but it leaves the door open for experiences to play a major role in the kind of architecture that we develop. And that architecture, again, reflects our environment. It depends what you're teaching the child, what you're showing them, what kind of experiences they have. The brain will then wire up from neuron to neuron and sets of neurons to reflect uh, these kinds of associations. So if you're showing a child uh, that, that something, a part of their environment is important and you're showing it to them uh, on a daily basis, they will then set up a, a neural network to reflect uh, that importance, and they'll be a part of their uh, understanding about the world and how things are happening at home. Now, there's a great deal of difference, for instance, in one area, uh, and that is language. You see children, I see them all the time, having a great deal of difference in their ability to communicate their thoughts at age two. And so I have to wonder, well, why is there such a difference? Some of that, I think, is reflected in the experiences that children have. Parents can make a great deal of difference in their children's understanding of words and their grammar, their development of grammar. Children seem to have a readiness for learning words At around seven or eight months, they may even some way start to ask you about uh, what the name of something is by pointing to it or making a sound for it. It takes a while for them to learn all these names of everything that might be in their environment, even in their house. So by taking them on, for instance, house tours where they can, with you, encounter the names of everything in, in the house again and again and again, setting up a routine, it adds to their enrichment of of words, and by talking to them, as most parents do, right from the beginning, and should should be continuing, uh, you give them a sense of grammar of the language. So there are wide differences, like I said, and I think a lot of those differences have to do with the extent to which parents are communicating and narrating events in their in their child's life.
0: And I remember one of the things that you talked about in your books is doing these house tours, which is such a fun idea. And in one case, you had talked about turning on and off all the lights in the house. Why is that a better lesson than one of the toys that my son had, which he played with as a baby? It was one of those ones where he pushed a button and all of a sudden all these lights were flashing and all these games started happening after pushing one button. Why is turning on and off a light switch better than that toy?
1: Yeah, I think that children need to be exposed to real life situations, real life objects and daily events. So they, they know how where things are located, how they work, what their functions are, how they're associated with something else. The more they understand uh, what's out there, real life, the better they can then begin to adapt to their environment. And I think it has to be a routine for them so that they are going through this process again and again and again it takes a while to set up these brain associations and structures. And the more repetitions you have, the more solid the network becomes.
0: Yeah. And tell me a little bit more about some of the other experience-based activities you talk about, like cause and effect events and means and actions. And you talk about a lot of like object experiences. You have all these d- different references in your book. Can you help it come alive for listeners, what you're talking about that happens during these house tours?
1: That could actually start at a much earlier age. When I talk about children needing to be aware of what goes on around them, we can, for parents' clarity, help them realize that what we're talking about are how things relate to one another, how objects can relate to one another, how you pour something into a container, for instance. That's an object-to-object kind of event that the infant needs to look at because this is a part of real-life situations. If you drop an object to the floor, That is a cause and effect event. Gravity is going to take it down, of course. But the child doesn't come into life knowing that it's going to happen. And moreover, there are variances as to how fast something will fall. If you drop a balloon or a feather versus dropping a coin or a heavier object, it's going to travel faster and make different sounds. That's information that the infant, generally around three to five months of age, can then appreciate. They have an interest in. They want to see it again and again.
0: I love this because it's it's like treating your baby like a little scientist. I mean, so much of their world is new. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the role that parents play in creating this environment. Can you help this like paint the picture for us? What does it look like to have this kind of optimal parent-child relationship where we're feeding our babies hunger to learn?
1: I think that when you find it, that a baby is interested in something, then it means that that experience, whatever it is that is they're looking at, is of value to them as well. Now, you can squeak a toy and an infant will appear to be interested, so it's not quite that simple. You have to play the role of deciding whether or not you, what you're showing them is something that's reflecting real life and something that, if they're making an association about, will help them in the future in some way. A squeaking toy, for instance, may catch their attention but it's not something that's going to be a valuable information for them as they get older and they're going to lose the associations of its importance. So I think attending again to what is real life around them is more important. And this is again, everything that's going on in your house is the first area of focus because everything is new to the child. So as you open a cabinet door, that's and, and exposing something inside, your, in the kitchen, it might be the dishes. That's a novel experience for infants. And it's not something that most parents would think about doing for their child. But the child ne- needs to know that behind these doors, there are things, <laughs> opening a, a closet door for exposes other information. Again, this is novel. So if you think in terms of the child not knowing any of this information, and I'm, again, I'm talking about a child who is over six months of age, they're going to appreciate this a lot more, knowing, again, how things work, where things are located, what they're associated with, where they go.
0: Yeah. And, and I love, I remember reading in your book that, and I'll just quote what you had written, frequent and sustained interactions with an adult are of vital importance to your child's development during this age period. When he is three or four, he will learn more on his own. But for now, he needs you and your time. This is a lot for a parent to hear. It's also, there's this interplay between, you know, a push for independent play and wanting our children to, you know, be able to just be entertained on their own and foster independence. And there's even this Montessori principle of focus and really letting your child be alone with an object and study it alone is healthy for their development. Can you help us understand this a little bit more? about the role of the adult as the engineer of this environment and and how we should be thinking about interacting with our babies under the optimal kind of circumstance.
1: Yeah, I think in the first five months of life, since children really aren't able to get around on their own and not move to an object and explore it on their own, that it's pretty much up to the parents to play the role of providing information that's useful for the infant. After that time, I think there has to be a a balance between discovery, learning, allowing the child to explore on his own, and providing direct experiences. Children learn a a great deal from observing what their parents, brothers, sisters do. They learn how to unlock a lot by watching their parents do it, (laughs) surreptitiously sometimes. modeling behavior for young children is probably the best way to help them to learn, and most children love to imitate copy what their parents do.
0: In one of the studies you cited, you referenced non-restrictiveness that some parents possess that is a significant predictor of a child's later cognitive competence. So not saying, okay, don't touch that or I don't want them to have that play in those rocks because it could be dirty or, you know, you name the experience. I found it so fascinating and guiding for me as a parent to read that because it helped me feel more comfortable with giving them supervised. But non-restricted experiences to help their learning. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: This has to do with, of course, discovery learning and allowing the child to participate, engage different kinds of objects, and to try to combine them in different ways. You want to enrich their environment by providing, again, the opportunity for them to have experiences with Uh, Different kinds of objects, things that are squishy, things that are hard, things that are flexible and things that are rigid, things that have different kinds of smells. These enrich the child's understanding of object properties and allow them to make associations that are useful in later decision making.
0: Yes, I was just, you know, thinking back on your books and thinking about how you helped me as a parent kind of break down the different areas of learning. So, like location and space, like teaching a baby um the ball is on top of or over the block or, you know, there's the shovel is under the pail. You know, really using these kind of location words and really emphasizing these areas of learning that help them scaffold um into you know kind of having a structure for understanding their world
1: i think concepts are really overlooked too much by educators and those who would suggest that we push academics uh, to younger and younger ages the concepts uh, having to do with spatial locations that you were talking about which could be above below in between besides and et cetera, as well as those involving numbers uh, quantity those would be like more and some and none I think these concepts are extremely important, and there are many, many of them (laughs) that we use on a daily basis that can assist the child to gain a better understanding of relationships well before we get into the numbers and the letters that are present in kindergarten.
0: And you also talk about sequences, and so, for example, when you know a parent gets a towel out and out of the drawer and turns on the faucet for you know the bath, that the child is starting to put together those two events and start to understand, okay, first, they get the towel out, then they turn on the faucet for the, for the bath. I must be, they make, can make a prediction. I must be taking a bath now. And it's that kind of nuance that you help me understand the nuances of what's going on in my baby's brain and how much they're picking up in these kind of everyday sequences that I found so fascinating.
1: Yeah. I, it's amazing how many connections infants make during the first three years of life, how quickly they make them. They're, they're into the trillions and of course, they have to be pruned later on because some of those associations are become irrelevant, Or, but they're always learning. They're always forming associations. And if you are narrating what you're doing with language and you're going through these routines and it's sequenced event that they can see happens all the time and you're using the words to narrate it and they're having a chance to feel the water, or feel the towel, it becomes a multi-sensory approach. One in which they can then remember if any aspect of that experience it's touched upon. So if they feel the towel, then they, they might think about the bath, even though it's not bath time.
0: And so I've got to ask, if you had to roughly guess, what is it, nature or nurture, and how much of who we are is really predetermined by our genetics, and how much of who we are is open to being molded by these early experiences? It's a tough question, I know.
1: Yeah, it's a tough question, because I think that genetics play a role pretty much in all aspects of our behavior. But the research that I've seen more recently suggests that Environment can determine whether or not certain genes or the influence of genes is they even manifest. So we can we can override, if you will, the power that genes have uh, through environmental experiences.
0: Well, what does smartness really look like? What are the components of a brain architecture of a person who is really capable? What does that look like?
1: One of the surprising findings for me in doing the research was the discovery, again, by people in more than one field, that the smarter brains or smarter people uh, tended to have brains that were firing less than those who were less capable. In other words, it wasn't the amount of activity, it was the efficiency of the associations and the firing patterns that distinguished uh, those who were more capable than those who were not. So, if you have a tighter network, if you will, if you have associations that that are not irrelevant to solve a problem, that if if you know what elements do go into making a decision that is in your best interest, other people's best interests, what are the relevancies? You know those things, then you're going to come to a decision more quickly and with more utility than you would otherwise. And so why is one brain more efficient than the other? It's because the associational network doesn't have to worry about extraneous kinds of thoughts or associations.
0: One last question. What advice do you have for us parents based on everything that you know?
1: I think that parents need to realize that they are extremely important in the lives of their children in the first couple of years in particular, that the children are relying on their parents to provide them not only just the love and care that they deserve, but also the kinds of experiences that will allow them to be more capable, more successful as, as students, more capable as friends, and more capable as community leaders. It all starts in the first few years of life, and I just can't emphasize the importance enough. Of your participation.
0: That's so great, Will. Thank you. It's been so wonderful talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: What I love about Will's work is that the advice is so hands on. Here are some of my favorite takeaways from the interview. Takeaway number one start with something simple like a house tour. Activities that help your baby's brain develop do not have to involve a bunch of toys. Takeaway number two. Expose your child to experiences that will serve them later in life, information on how things work, where things are located, how those things are connected. Try explaining the shovel is inside the pail. These explanations help them scaffold an understanding of the world. Takeaway number three, narrate sequences in your routine to expose your baby to repetitive language. Babies learn by hearing phrases over and over. For example, whenever you give your baby a bath, narrate what you are doing. Now we are going to turn on the faucet. Here is the towel. It's bath time. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L O V E V E R Y. Dot .com I'm Jessica Rolf thanks for listening